Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Everyone, thanks for being here and uh, have a seat. And uh, again, I want to say a special welcome if you're, uh, if you're joining us online. And, uh, you know, I wish you could be with us, uh, you know, just to see just the room, some of the faces with masks, uh, you know, but, but just the faithfulness of people who are part of our community and our church. Maybe some of you are tuning in from another province. You're, you're not in the area. And, and I just want to let you know, you know, one of the real privileges of being a pastor is seeing people use their gifts, step up and serve you know, from the camera to the media to the worship to registration, all of those things. And so if you're in the area or you're part of the church, you know, there's some room here. I see some chairs. We'd love to have you. Maybe you're getting Zoomed out or YouTubed out and tired of just the technology. Uh, we want to let you know that we are excited to start to slowly open up as we're respecting all the guidelines and all the, the things that the government has in place. And so, uh, yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, th this morning we're, Dave, Steve, uh, th this morning, it's the mask, it's throwing me off. Uh, th this morning, we were going to continue in, in the series. We've been inviting you to think about how, you know, the story of Jesus and the story of the first followers of Jesus is not just this old story in the Bible you read about, but it's this invitation for us to be part of the story. And we become part of this story, not because we said, oh, I accept Jesus in my heart as my personal savior. I mean, some people think that, but it's more than that, that we actually are invited to belong to a new family and to find our place in that family. And to realize that God has given us gifts to, to learn how to be in this family, a family that's not always a nice family. All of us know that church and being part of this family that we call the church, it can be challenging sometimes and difficult sometimes. And, and COVID has definitely like made it even more difficult to know, like, what, you know, what is church going to look like after COVID? And are people going to really keep connecting with church? And all these kinds of questions. And, you know, if you have the answers to those questions, if you write a book, you'll be rich, you know, because everybody's just curious. But today I want to go back to thinking about what it means that God invites us to be people who learn from other people in the Bible who had questions about the church. Some people in the Bible not only have questions about the church, they hate the church. They know enough about the church to say, we don't even want to be part of this. We want this idea of people gathering to worship Jesus that it should stop. And in a few minutes, we're going to go back to a person who's kind of this famous symbolic leader that says that they're going to shut down any gathering of those who are worshiping Jesus as Lord. And as a beginning, I, I want to ask you a very simple question. I want you to think about this. If you're at home, you're with somebody, maybe you can, you can talk about this with them. Or, you know, if you're driving, listening, you can turn to the person next to you, you can mention this to them. I want to ask you a simple question. Are you good at spotting someone who's a hypocrite? Are you good at that? Just think about it for a second. Think about if you are good at spotting someone who tends to be a hypocrite. I think about that a lot as I've thought about the series on the church. Because so many people that I meet, 
who say they don't want to be part of church and they don't go to church, they'll often say, you know, church is full of hypocrites. You know, the word hypocrite is a great biblical word, actually. It means to wear a mask. It means to be an actor. That's what it actually means. It means to be good at acting, to pretend to be someone that you're not. And I think when I think about being a hypocrite, I often think about that sometimes it's true. Over the years, I, I meet people who say certain things, and I'm like, the more I listen to them, the more I think like they're great at saying things that they really don't believe. You know, we have sayings in our culture that help people do this, right? You fake it till you. It's so much nicer when you hear it that way. You know what that means? Be a hypocrite. Like, just pretend, and if you never make it, then you are a good hypocrite. <laughs> We have so many other ways that we think of it that way. You know, years ago, there was a writer, and he was thinking about Christians and people who said they believed in Jesus and people who said they loved God and people who said they read their Bible, right? And he had this profound quote. This is what he said about Christians. This was basically his assessment of this idea. He said this. He says, Christians seem to have this amazing ability to say the most wonderful things without actually believing them. You believe this? Some of you would be like... That's rough. That is, that is a tough one. I mean, anybody might do this. But you know, the truth is, is I'm so good at spotting when other people are hypocrites, and I'm so bad at spotting it when I'm a hypocrite. Like, it's so easy, and Jesus will say this. He'll say, you know, no, before you see someone, what's in someone else's eye, before you try to take the log out of someone else's eye, right, what about your own? He's not saying that we're not going to have to help each other, but he's saying be very, very careful that what bothers you and other people may actually be at the core, something that is in you that you must surrender. You must really let me transform in you. And this morning, I want to talk about the fact that last week we looked at this person. Uh, some of you maybe remember his name, you remember his story. Just curious, does anyone remember if you were here, if you're listening? Uh, you remember who the person we looked at was really, really important in the story of Christianity? His name was Saul or Paul, right? Saul or Paul is his name. Uh, the Bible kind of refers to him in two ways that way. And you can just go to the picture. Saul and Paul of Tarsus is this person that for, for like years now has caused scholars to wrestle with, you know, wh what was his story and what was happening in his life when he realizes that God was calling him to not only not destroy the church, but to be part of growing the church. I mean, this is not something that he would have signed up for. And what's amazing is as you learn about Paul, I always feel bad when I, I read about this. It's like, we are given by, the, by the, just the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit's work, and we often say the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? A glimpse into some of the most painful times in Saul's life. You know, I think like, I, I'm the kind of person, I don't know if this is you, I'm the kind of person when I go through painful things, I don't want people to know. So like, I pretend to smile, and I'll be like, everything's fine, and it's not a big deal, and let's go get him. You know, we have these hopeful tips. You know, you have hopeful people but then we read the Bible and Paul's like, well, here's the brokenness of my life and what Jesus was doing. Here's how God was starting to teach me that he was doing something in the life of this people that we call the church that I never realized, like I never imagined. And I think for many of us, when we don't realize this, when we don't understand the story of the faith through the concepts of, you know, Paul's writings and the scriptures, we slowly start to believe what the world believes about church how the culture around us talks about the church. You know, I wrote, we wrote this little ebook, and we shared this with our church and the series, some of you know this, and one of the things I, I wrote about and I've been really wrestling with, I think for years now, is to remind people that church is not a charity. Okay, the church is not just a nonprofit charity that does good things in the world. 
No, now, I know why many people believe that, because that's the best category that the world has for the church. So you kind of have to be like, it's okay, like, we'll take it, you know, it, it works. But when you're learning about being the church, when you're learning about being this family, you realize we understand what that means, but we're more than that. We're something so much bigger than just hope to help some people, because the truth is there's some people who are better helpers than the church. And I know a lot of people that say that, you know, why would I go to church? I could just go help with the YMCA. I'm like, because the church ain't the YMCA. I would like a pool in the building. It'd be nice if we had a pool. But, uh, but that's not what we are. And after a while, we start to hear the culture define what we're supposed to be, and we almost become it by mistake. We're like, I guess that's what we are. I guess we just help and do, you know, some nice things. And once in a while, the government says, yeah, you guys can hang out, play your music, read your whatever your religious book is, just do that. And after a while, we're like, is that really all we are? That Jesus came to die and resurrect to just help us be good people? What? He could have just said, just follow the Ten Commandments better. He came so that people who were dead in their sins would be made alive again and become part of this new living family. There's a big difference. And I know for some of you, you're watching, you're like, I just, just want to be a good person. You can be a good person. That's wonderful. But this is more than that. And Paul is one of those people in the story of Christianity that's going to learn himself and then teach us what that looks like, what that means, that God is going to use him to start to help us understand this community of people we call being the church together, learning to love one another so that the world would understand that God's love for them, learning to sacrifice together, all of these things. And there's, the, there's these letters in the New Testament, maybe some of you know this, that, but Paul, this figure, will end up doing something he never imagined. He will start to plant churches. He's going to start to think, not just, hey, let me go have a coffee with my friend and hope uh, they understand the Bible better. And hope. No, no, he's like, we need to start these families of people who are worshiping Jesus together everywhere we can, we can do it. Like, and he's going to start to travel and do this. And in your Bible, you know this, you know, in your Bible, we have letters that Paul writes to these churches. Paul doesn't just write to people. He's writing to families. And I just have a slide to show you. These are six of the letters that Paul will write before he goes to prison. So heads up, he's heading to prison. Okay? Before he goes to prison, he's already writing these letters. And I wrote them like this because it's easy to forget that when you're reading your Bible, you're reading kind of the emails of churches. Like, it's like getting the email and being like, oh, that's what you got. Imagine us just sending an update every week of the 180. We had staff meeting. This person was annoying. You know, somebody was supposed to bring muffins and they forgot. Like, all the stuff I complain about in staff meeting. Yeah, that's how our staff meetings are, okay? So um, imagine you start to see this, you know, and Paul's writing to churches. He's writing to them, and we get to read it. And one of the first letters he writes is to this church in Galatia, the letter to the Galatians. This region of the Mediterranean world, of the ancient world, where there's a church there, and they have huge problems. Huge problems. You know, I, I, if you're like me, you know, if there's a place that has a big problem, we, we always try to be like, let's not talk about it. Just send it to a few people. You know, and we get to read this letter of these complex problems in this church that Paul writes to this church. And, and if you're taking notes and you just want to go just a little bit deeper, just let me say this. You know, some of you have heard me talk about this. If you ever do a theology class and you learn this a little bit deeper, just a little bit deeper, ready? Still early, I got you. Just a few more minutes here, right? Paul is writing to churches before the Gospels and the New Testament are probably being written. 
Just, just let that sink in. That the letter to the Galatians is probably written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written. That means people are becoming Christians and following Jesus and surrendering their lives to Jesus before they even have all of the gospels the way we have them. You know what that means? We have no excuse. We have no excuse at all. That we get to read four biographies of Jesus, read them, and be like, I don't like this guy. I'm going to move on. I'm going to do my own thing. Like, that's what you could do. Where other people are saying yes to Jesus before, with all their questions, with all their doubts, they're like, oh my gosh, you're saying that Jesus, they killed. Yeah, he's alive. Yeah, he's alive. Okay, we're in. We're in. Wherever he is, we're going. Paul is writing to these new churches. And he's helping them and he's reminding them, hey, remember this and remember that and careful here and careful here. And, and part of the letter to the Galatians is really, really beautiful because it's one of the few letters that we have where Paul tells us a little bit about his own life. He tells us a little bit about the, 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 the pain and the struggles that he's feeling. I wish, you know, we could learn about the Bible and we could learn about Christianity. I could give you a very simple answer. You could go home and it would be wonderful and all positive, positivity. It's not. Paul's life is going to be 14 years, 15 years of like a mess. People want to kill him. He's going to be in prison. He's like, why did I even say yes to this? Like, really? I thought being a Christian was going to maybe make everything like better. I thought my prayers are just always going to be answered. I thought like, I thought that. Maybe you don't, but I thought that. That's why I signed up. And then I started reading the Bible. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This is what it means to surrender your life to Jesus? To be committed in this way, the letter of the Galatians, this is what Saul is going to write at one point as he's thinking about what God is doing in his life. It's a bit of a narrative. I'm going to read it for us, and then I'm going to explain it a little bit, okay? It says this. It says, when James and Caiaphas, who was Peter and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, Paul speaking, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship. If you're at home, you're reading this, you should circle fellowship. It's a very important concept in the Bible agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and that they to the circumcised, which means the Jews. So they're realizing the church is getting bigger. It's not just the Jewish people, but there's other people that are not Jewish who are going to say yes to, to Jesus. And they asked only one thing, that we would remember the poor, which was actually what I was eager to do. Okay, he goes on to talk about the importance of, of poor and the church caring for the needs of the poor. But this is a, an important slide, and I want you to, to just leave it up here for a little while because I want to talk about this, okay? I want you to understand that Paul has had this moment where Jesus has shown him that his life is not going to be a life that's going to be committed to destroying the church, but it's going to be a life committed to growing the church, okay? And last week, I gave you a kind of a simple way of thinking about this, that Saul experienced something that we all need to experience. He's going to move from being a hater to experiencing God's healing. He's going to be, move from being someone who wants revenge and wants to get his way to experiencing God's power to see his healing unfold. And as he goes through this, what's going to happen is he's going to realize that he has to discern what this means. Discernment is one of the most difficult things you have to learn as a Christian. And I, and I talk to people often, and they're like, you know, Pastor Dom, I'm not sure what to do. And I listen, and I'll pray, and we look at the scriptures, and I'm like, I don't know what you should do either. Sometimes we think that discernment is like a magic thing, like we're just going to see an angel. And I know people that do that. They're like, you know, I was driving and I got a lot of red lights and I felt that I should quit that job. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Go to work, okay? But, but we look for like these magical things to feel like, oh, the Lord spoke to me, whatever. And we see that Saul in this moment knows that Jesus has spoken to him. He understands the truth that Jesus is alive now and that the church is going to be a big deal, but he's not sure yet what that means. 
And so he goes to people that he trusts, and he says, Peter and James and some of the ones who were with Jesus, they're going to help me. And we know that a journey is going to happen. A process of discernment is going to happen. And so I want to encourage you, some of you, to really think about this. That we live in a world of such fast information that the work of discernment is something that people have lost. And it's so important that discernment is a gift and a practice that we learn together as we live as the church. As we worship and as we rub shoulders and as we pray and as we sing and as we learn. All of these things are what make up how we learn to discern together. One of the phrases that came to mind as I was preparing was that the Holy Spirit is not anything that we can control. We know this from the Bible. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that Paul is going to give us to to learn, and one of the things that Paul is going to learn, that while we can't control the Spirit, we can confirm with each other when we see the Spirit at work. This has been one of the most life-giving things that I've learned in my life. When I was really, really young, somebody would have said to me, you know, you're going to be a pastor, and God's going to use you, and you might teach, and you might do this. I'd be like, I don't really see that. I don't think, I don't know what you're talking about. That's crazy. Right? I'm going to do my own thing. I want to get rich. Or I want to be a hockey player. Or I want to be like a YouTuber, whatever. And other people came alongside of me and they're like, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. I'm like, don't do that. I don't believe in prayer. I don't even like this. And I went through a process where I didn't care. And then I had a sense that maybe, just maybe, God was speaking to me. Not like weird in a weird way. I just had a sense that maybe he said, I've given you certain gifts and now I'm calling you to grow in this way. And you know what happened? People started to help me to discern that. We are living in a time in our world where people are dying to see other people learn to discern the things of God together. Because we're on the internet and people say all kinds of things and you never should confuse confidence with knowing what you're talking about. People can be confident, they can put a tip, they can say anything, but the gift of being together as a church is to be together and to learn and to see others say, hey, hey, you know what? I see you growing there. Or you know what, like that, that seems like a difficult thing for you. Can I pray for you? Or you know what, this, and, and I just want to say something that like as a pastor has been one of the most, uh, I, I would say like proud moments for me over COVID that I've seen in so many of you. God stir you to serve him and to love him in new ways over these past few years with COVID. Some of you have stepped up to help with Alpha when you thought God can never use me with Alpha. Some of you have stepped up to help on serving on, like, on a prayer team, and you're like, I'm not into internet or Zoom, and I'm not sure if I know how that works, but you're there, and you're trying. Sometimes we have to tell you to unmute 12 times, but you're there. You know, unmute. Yeah. You don't hear me? No, we don't hear you. Okay. If you're at home, you know what I mean. But it, it's all these things, and you stepped in. Some of you thought of our young adults and our youth, and you stepped up, and you said, God, I'll, do, I'll bring what I have. And I've seen God do this. And you know what? All of you in this room, if you're at home, you could have used COVID as the greatest excuse of all time. Because there's no comeback for COVID excuse. If somebody says, you know what, I'm afraid, it's COVID, I'm nervous, you're like, okay. Like, that, that is, that's the card for everything. You know, you're like, if you want to play that, but you didn't do that. You said, you know what, I'm not sure, but I'll try. Some of you, you know, you're listening, and I just need to say this, it's so important, I was thinking about it, it was like bubbling up in my heart. Some of you have decided that you're going to give of your finances for the first time to see the work of the church, the people of God learning to love Jesus together, just take a step forward. Might be a small step, but it's a step forward. Some of you are here early, getting the room ready. Some of us are excited about opening the church up and seeing new people come and connect with God. People who want nothing to do with church. People who think Christians are crazy. 
and I've seen God just stir in you these gifts that are slowly coming to the surface. And it encourages me because I have weeks when I'm very discouraged. And I remember seeing someone step up, a husband say, hey, I'm praying for my wife and I never used to do that before. Or I'm learning to just be patient with my kids and I didn't know how to do that before. So can I encourage you, if you're, if you're listening to this, that COVID is a time when we can say to God to help us to see these gifts that he's given to us, to confirm in us that we've heard him speak. We know he's calling us to believe in the truth, but now we have to live in the truth. We have to practice the truth. We have to grow in the truth. That's what it means to really understand what Paul is going to teach. And Paul is going to do this. Paul is going to explain this powerful thing. He doesn't just say that, hey, the apostles gave me the hand of fellowship. They don't just invent a handshake. You know, like my kids are at the age where they're doing handshakes. You ever, you ever have people that when you're young, you're like, one of those, thumbs, and you're like, ah, oh, that's really cool. They're like, dad, we can do it faster. And they do it faster. That's not what the Bible means. It doesn't mean like they gave me the hand of fellowship and now we have a pound. No, no, that's not it. It's like now Paul realizes that now he, understanding that Jesus is alive, has to find his place in this new family. And he's going to step into that and his journey is going to be so much bigger than even those early apostles. Because he's the one called, you can go back to that slide just to see it again, that they confirm with Barnabas, right, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles. That we should go to people who might not even believe anything about Jesus. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and you want us to tell Greek people that he's the Messiah for us and for them? Yeah, go do that. Are you crazy? Like, think about how hard it would be to do that. Like, I was telling my wife this. I can't even convince my kids to fix their, clean their room. And Paul's like, no, you're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to start to share with them that the Jesus who's alive is not just for us, the Jewish people. He's the King and Lord for everyone. So now step in. They're not only going to confirm that God, they see God at work, but they're going to expand what God is going to do. They're going to encourage Paul and us to imagine what God could do. I was thinking for a title for the, for the sermon, and, you know, I, I called the sermon the spiritual gift of imagination. Now, I want to apologize because the Bible does not talk about the spiritual gift of imagination. Okay, so I'm not trying to lie to you, you know, send me an email, Pastor Dom, you're trying to trick us, I didn't find the gift of imagination. No, no, but the whole Bible is the gift of imagination. That you would imagine that when the power of the Holy Spirit connects with the truth that Jesus is alive, that things are about to happen that you have never seen before. Paul says, let's, let's get her done. Let's go. Like, what's next? They're like, okay, hard work. You're going to write some letters to churches? He's like, good, good churches? No, some of them you're going to plant. They don't even exist. You're going to go and start this. You're going to write. And this starts to happen. And he starts to experience this, this profound sense of responsibility that other people have said, hey, I've seen gifts in you. Imagine if Paul would come back every year and say, you know, I didn't do anything, guys. I was tired. Like, it was really long, and it was, the weather was bad. We'd, we would have no New Testament letters. We'd have, like, think about, like, if the story of the church, I often think about this. You know, if the church were to start today, it'd be a slow-moving thing, you know? Like, you look at the Bible, and you see, like, the movement of God's people, and we read it, and we're like, God, would you stir in us to have the imagination to believe that you would do something in us? that you would connect the truth that Jesus is alive and the power of the Spirit to make us this family 
that would change the world. Today, we gather in a warehouse to worship Jesus as Lord, and the Roman Empire is a footnote in a history book. That's the gift of spiritual imagination. Imagine if somebody would have said that to Paul. Paul, one day people are going to read these letters, and they're going to learn in a history class about the Roman Empire. He's like, come on, how is that possible? Don't you worry. Get your stuff and start planting churches. What would it look like if God stirred in you just this new sense of imagination of how he could use you, your family, your kids? All of us do this naturally. I have a dream and a vision for my kids, and I have a a dream and a vision for the church. Just if I give you a minute and you have to write down, what are the kinds of things you're imagining God would do in your life? What would you write? What would you say? Two years from now, three years from now, and five years from now, What would you say, I imagine this? How would you finish that? You know, if we're not careful, the way we answer that is going to be very, very selfish. We live in a world that teaches us to imagine how to do a lot of things. Be a success, sell more of this, have a bigger house. That's imagination, all right. You got to see, and we have all kinds, you got to see it, to believe it, to do all kinds of stuff. You could buy t-shirts of it and wristwatches and all kinds of things. But in the Bible, We are stirred to be people who can imagine what God can do for the glory of Jesus, not for us, not for what we want for ourselves. And Paul is like, okay, and how does, what do we do next? Can I just help you to see this in a profound way? This, I just want to, I have a slide for you and you'll see it. It says this, when the church becomes optional, we settle for change when God is offering us the gift of transformation. That when we forget that the church is not just a place where people come to just be better people, just be a good person, but God is transforming something deep in us to be people who see our lives through the story of the fact that Jesus is alive. To not just help us just have better lives. Because at the end, if that's all we believe, we are still at the center of the story. And Christianity is about Jesus being at the center of the story. And some of you are listening to this and you're new to Christianity or you're learning this for the first time and you're like, I would never want to do that. I'm like, it's fine. I understand. It's very hard. Paul tried too not to do it. But if you want to be a Christian, this is what you're doing. And let me give you Paul's words for this. Not my words. Let me give you Paul's words for how he understood that God was not just changing him to be a nice person, to be friendlier. Like that's not what's happening. But that God is transforming him to be like a a spiritual giant. Like, like, you'd never imagine this. This is what Paul says. Again, to the letter to the Galatians, one of the first things he writes, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. This is one of the first verses of the Bible I ever memorized when I was young. If you ever get confused between change and transformation, read this. Change is how do I become more spiritual so my life feels better. Transformation says I'm no longer the center of any of this. I now live just for the glory of who Jesus is, and I can only do that with the power of the Spirit. See the difference? Change is so much easier. Change is easy to sell. It's easy to kind of just, change is what you get with New Year's resolutions. Let's just try it for a month. If it doesn't work, ah, we'll abandon it and do something else, right? 
Transformation is like something is happening to me and the only way I could put this into words is that this is happening to me. To be a Christian is to live with this at the center. Now, if you read this and you're like, I don't want this, it's very, very easy. You're probably not a Christian. Okay, like that's that simple to help you. Dude, I'm not sure what I believe. Okay, read this. If you don't believe this, you're not there yet. It's okay. If I see you, I'll hug you. But we're helping you to grow up. We're helping you to be like, this is what Paul wrote. Yeah, this is what Paul wrote right here. One of the first things, the New Testament, this is what we're seeing happen. That is stirring people to believe and to understand that the only way I can explain what he was doing to me is that the ways of Jesus are now being formed in me and it's almost like it's not even me anymore. Something else is happening. It's very hard to sometimes explain that, but you know what happens when we gather as the church? Other people confirm it in us. Other people see it happening in us. Other people can tell that we're growing and God is stirring us something. So we're learning to do that together because there's times when we're discouraged. There's times when we don't see God at work. There's times when you're not going to feel like God is at work. There's times when you're not even going to feel like getting up to come to church. But you realize that being there and hearing someone sing, being there and hearing a prayer, being there and hearing the scriptures confirms in you, this is what I want. This is it. This is what I'm about now. Because let me just tell you, when you leave here, all the messaging of the world is going to be on high alert. All the, the news and the media will, will start to, all these ideas, you know, change this, success, this, this. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 this is what it means to have Jesus at the center. Paul, who was committed to destroying the church, writes this for us. Maybe this week, just take some time. One of the greatest things you do is maybe write this down with a pencil, with a pen, like real, like on, on a paper, like a real piece of paper. Just write it down. Be like, oh my God. As you write it down, just read it. You're like, and just, just even to pray with the scriptures to say, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. I'm not Paul. I ain't Paul. You know, but I, but I see that God wants to do something new in my life that I never imagined. A few years ago, when we kind of started the 180, there were times that I would pray and ask God to give me kind of this hope and this, this gift of believing that he could do something greater than any of us. And there were times where I'm like, I don't, this is so weird. I don't think it's going to work. You know, I would invite people from my family to come to church, and I'm like, hey, you want? And they'd be like, we're not, that, that's dumb. Like, we're not coming to that. I'm like, okay. You know, and then you try, and you're like, oh, people, you want to come and be part of what we're doing? No. You know, and you're like, you're just trying, and, and then you leave, and you smile, and then you go home, and you cry. You know, like, there's the in-between, and you're like, Oh my goodness, and you read the Bible, you're like, was it this hard for Paul? Yeah, it was. But when you read your Bible, you forget that part. Because Paul writes parts, you're like, this is what I want. Like, I want to heal somebody. That'll be good. And post it on the internet. A lot of people will come, right? You're just like torn in that process. I have a picture for you. You'll see a picture. This is about seven years ago in this warehouse. Here at home, maybe you can't see it really, really clearly, but stages there, boxes all over, 30 people, 40 people. It's one of the first few experiences we had of trying to say, you know, I think Paul's planting churches, and I think one of the things that maybe God might teach us is to see new outposts, new light posts in our city emerge, that people would be like, hey, I never, I'm not into church, but this seems different, and I might check that out. Well, we just started that. And there was somebody in that room that maybe some of you, you know, you might not know him, but he was in that room, and he, uh, he came to talk to me. Like, he wasn't into church. He didn't believe in God. He came to talk to me. He's like, you know, I just came to visit 
I came with a friend, but I'm not into this. And uh, I said, I understand. You know, and we just started a friendship. We just started chatting, and I would hear why, you know, they don't believe in God. And, you know, and, and at one point, we did a, a bit of a video story of this person. His name is Nick, and this is what Nick writes. You'll see him in the video. He says, it's definitely an uncomfortable process to be with a bunch of kooky Christians, like all of you, not me. He's talking about you, okay? I feel like everyone is drinking the Kool-Aid but me. I was like, when you put it that way, you know? This is what he said. I was like, wow, I'm offended. No, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, but I was like, hey, I, I guess so. You know, years of the church in Quebec and his experience with church, questions he had, and you know, I remember feeling how difficult it was to believe that God could do something in his life, but still the journey together, growing together, listening and processing things together. Some of you have had such an amazing impact in Nick's life because Nick kept kind of visiting our church, kept coming. We tricked him into running a home group in his house. We just said, like, I'll be there, but you just open up your house. You know, we, we, just, we just were doing what Paul's doing. Like, we're just going to try to just believe. God's at work. I don't even know. Right? We're like, you want to try Alpha? Yeah, Nick, help. Next Sunday, we're going to baptize Nick here at the 180. Next Sunday, you know, we are going to, you know, we want to baptize more than Nick. But, you know, just because of COVID, we're going to do one baptism. And some of you have talked to me about getting baptized, so it's coming. It's coming. You know, and uh, like six years, you know, Nick has dumb questions. He's watching and going to be mad, but. And uh, I just think of what it means to believe in the gift of spiritual imagination. To believe that God can take just broken, humble people like us and just confirm in us gifts, different gifts that are at work and doing their thing. And that someone who's like, this church, whatever, and they would be like, I think I need to be part of this family too. Like, I understand. I used to bug Nick when, uh, when we used to chat. I'm like, dude, you know, you have a lot of questions, and I know you don't believe in God, but when Jesus gets you, you're in trouble. When he finds you, he's going to find you. And can we just believe that Jesus is going is, is to find other people that we love that don't know him yet? That, that there's a space where they can come and say, oh, I hate this. You guys are clowns. You're drinking Kool-Aid. And we're like, yeah. Maybe it seems that way. I know. I understand. I want to pray for us in a second, but I want to leave you with uh, the words of Paul again to another church on the list of six churches that I showed you, a church in a place called Corinth. That's what he says. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. May this be a prayer over your life today. May this be a prayer over our values, that we would be people who love God in such a way that he would use us and move us to sacrifice, to love one another, to serve one another, to make room for others, and to be able to say, what is happening now, I could not foresee. 
It's such a reminder for us, right, that it's never really about us. It's just that we take a step and we just leave it with God. We're just faithful. And that we confirm that with one another and we say, hey, I've seen God at work there. You think maybe that's God speaking to you? Or I know you have a question. Like, tell me what that question is. Maybe we can learn together. That we would continue to do this and dream together. Now, next week, obviously, we have the restrictions. And, and, and being here, we can have more than 25 people. We've made a bit of room for Nick's family to have a bit of a sense that some of them are here in the room. And so, you know, some of you can, can sign up. We, we pray that if you're watching online, that you would, uh, you know, you would sign up if you can and, and even just watch and pray for us. Just pray for this journey. And, you know, and as I was sharing with Nick, we're going to share a little video. It's, like, it's not that he's like a poster child or special that way. It's just what Jesus has done in his life, he at some point did in my life. He at some point done, is done in your life. And at some point, he does in another person's life. And so we want to believe that we gather as the church to remind ourselves that Jesus is still helping people do a 180. He's still teaching people what it means to, to decide that there's no hope if you continue living in your own ways, that you would experience this, this turning, this movement in your life. I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we believe that your power is alive and well in our midst. And we ask for the strength to see the gifts that you give us be unleashed in our time. That we would confirm those gifts with each other. And that we would believe that you would call us to see things that we still can't even understand. We thank you for our dear brother, Paul of Tarsus, who because of his faithfulness to the Gentiles, we would become part of this family we would understand the sacrifices and the responsibility to be your people for the sake of others. And I pray that today we would leave this place reminded that you are the God who transforms us to be those who keep Jesus at the center of everything that we are. We think about as we prepare just for the, the special celebration of next weekend. We pray for Nick and his family. We pray for others who maybe are sensing the nudge to be baptized next. We pray that you would give them the courage to take this quiet sense of your love and whisper and to make it public so others would see it as well. We pray you would teach us to be those who understand that the church and what you're doing among us as your people is not optional. But it's the way that you've changed the world from the beginning. So teach us to be these kinds of people and all of this for the glory of Jesus, our King. Because we pray this in his name. Amen.